from digitiki.com. I am the chef of the future. I heard your wish, and I have come here to answer it. This is an improvement and proof you cannot dispute. This is all going on live, not on film. Now let's continue our journey into imaginative design and new concepts from the far corners of the world. Welcome to the Quiet Village. Welcome back, folks, to part two of Future Zotica, Exotica from the Now. Exotica tunes that are current by new artists or uh, tunes that you might not have considered to be Exotica. And I've also got a very special treat. I've got an interview with a great velvet artist by the name of Rob Hamill, who has really exploded on the scene. He's going to be in the Quiet Village a little bit later on. But first, here is some music that was sent to me by a Quiet Villager, uh, one of the listeners here at the Quiet Village. It's a group from England that calls themselves Evan George, and they sent me a couple of their tunes, and uh, this is one of them. It's a really cool version of The Quiet Village. It's a little kooky, which I kind of like. Here's Evan George from England, one of our own Quiet Villagers, with Quiet Village. Thank you. 
Sasaki and the Tiki Boys from their 2003 album Tiki Moon. That was a tune called At the Tiki Bar. And right before that was a band called Kavakon from their 2005 album Departure Exotica. That was a track called Oceana. And kicking off that set were Quiet Villagers themselves, a band called Evan George from England who actually sent me this track. It was their version of Quiet Village and a really interesting version. Cheers, guys, for that. That was interesting. From 2008, Evan George. Now, one of the names that is synonymous with Exotica is Robert Drasden. He's uh, synonymous with classic Exotica, that is, from back in the day. His seminal album from 1958, Voodoo, is a must for any Exotica fan, and it's highly sought after as a collectible on the vinyl market, but thankfully it is out on CD. You can still get it. But Bob is still putting out some great music today, and in 2007 released Voodoo 2, which was the sequel to the 58 album Voodoo. And um, it's a great album in the classic Exotica tradition. And I was fortunate enough to be present during the recording of this album, and uh, it was recorded live to multi-track with, with acoustic musicians, all of them in the same room. It was all laid down at once, and it was really, really... Um, I was really privileged to be there to witness that. So here is Robert Drasnan's 19, uh, sorry, here is Robert Drasnan's 2007 album, Voodoo 2. This is a track called Habanera in Blue.
Don Tiki from their 1996 first album called The Forbidden Sounds of Don Tiki. They were doing it way back then. And that actually is a classic Martin Denny tune called Exotica. Now, Exotica can be found in some very unusual places. And I've, I've found a few. And this is a perfect example. John Zorn, the kind of experimental artist who's kind of out there, he did an album called Taboo in Exile way back in 1999. And this song is the quintessential Tiki song. And it's on this album. It just, it's in there. It's called Tiki for Blue. And I think you'll dig this one.
an interesting tune there, kind of ambient exotica, which I focused on in in part one. That was a tune called Departures by a group called Kerminsky Experience Incorporated. That was actually from an ambient lounge compilation called White Martini Dieu, or part two. And before that was a really interesting EP from 2006, Bo Axelzon and His Exotic Sounds, an EP that I actually found on iTunes. That was a tune called El Manicero, which means the peanut vendor, which is a classic old Latin song, but definitely has an exotic feel. And uh, that group is out of Sweden. And that's just an EP that they did, which it's quite interesting. It's got a lot of Latin influence, but uh, exotica feel as well. Right before that, from 2001, another uh, iTunes discovery, Sparkle Jets UK from their self, self-titled album. That was a tune called Bamboo Lounge. And, and uh, again, keeping with that only tiki song on the album kind of vibe, that is the only tiki exotica sounding song on that album. The rest is kind of uh, pop and alternative kind of sounding. And they just took a complete left turn and did an exotica tune on that album, and that was it. It was pretty good. And kicking off that set from 1999, John Zorn, of all people, from his album Taboo and Exile, that was Tiki for Blue. Now, if you're into the tiki scene at all, you'll know that lowbrow art is kind of a big deal, you know, with paintings of tikis and as well as carvings and, and mugs and things like that. There is a really interesting uh, art form that is associated with tiki to a certain degree, and that is uh, velvet paintings. And immediately, when one thinks of velvet paintings, you think of the dogs playing poker, or the crying Elvis, or the the weird, uh, you know, the children with big eyes that are kind of creepy to me. But, uh, you know, as tacky as a lot of velvet art is, there there are those who have really made velvet art a high art form. And it's just recently that in the tiki scene that, that velvet art has kind of come back or is starting to come back. And one of the persons I personally feel that's responsible for that is Rob Hamill from Ohio a very talented artist, and I am a bit biased because I do have an original Rob Hamill that I commissioned. And uh, I actually got to meet Rob Hamill for the first time face-to-face at the 2008 Lao because some of his artwork was on display. And uh, because of the schedule, and it was kind of crazy, I really didn't get a chance to casually sit down with him and interview him, although I wanted to. So we made a date to uh, pick up the phone and do a phone interview. So I called Rob Hemmel, and we discussed velvet art. Painting in the negative has got to be difficult. And uh, how did you get started in that? You had told me something about that. You'd started a long time ago with sketches, but... uh... Well, um, in high school, I was doing uh, uh, drawings on black paper with colored pencil, and that's where I had the most luck that I've ever had as far as uh, the impact of things that I've done. And uh, that pretty much was it as far as that goes. The velvet part was my wife's idea just... uh, just over a year ago, she just one day when we were uh, kind of hanging out in our gazebo and we were reading, you know, Sven Kirsten's book on Tiki and stuff like that. And she just said, you know, hey, you want to paint Tiki on uh, black velvet? And I just just seemed like kind of a natural, but I gave it a, about a week or two to think of some ideas and it just started clicking. Now, when you posted on Tiki Central, um, your first few posts of some of your paintings, were those some of your first ones? Yeah, it was just about everything I'd done up to that point, except for a few. They looked very well thought out, like you'd been doing it for years and years and years. <laughs> I'm really glad you said you say that, because when I first started sketching stuff, my entire first sketchbook is kind of an embarrassment. Because <laughs> I was working on white, and then when I started uh, drawing in black... Then it just started to click, and, and I, I did a page of black designs on black paper, and they all are ones that I might eventually do. 
I, I'm going to geek out here. How difficult is it to paint on a medium like velvet? Well, when I first got a uh, test strip and got some paint and started dabbing it on there, I found out first thing that every type of acrylic I had would not work. Some of it is pretty amazingly hard, like with flesh tones. Somehow the velvet <clears throat> transforms one of my normal flesh tone palettes, which I have some that were set up for regular painting. So your usual contrast range, like the difference between bright and dark and the subtle shadings that you would normally do just disappear, and none of that stuff works. The old uh, velvet that the, the Mexican artists would use, which I have some pieces of and I've experimented with, that stuff is so short that it's like beard, beard stubble. You can put thick globs of paint on that, but I can't find that material anymore. And it really kind of handles in kind of a brutish sort of way. You can't do subtle things with it. And the stuff that I use, it just, uh, because you have pure black underneath and most, most oil paints, you know, most paints in general are designed to use in thin glazes to build up color and stuff. They're not that opaque. So you pretty much end up with a nearly transparent painting and you have to spend God knows how long building up uh, layers till it looks right. There's two paintings that I, that I've seen you, that you posted on Tiki Central that, that bring this to mind. And one of them is the Moonrise Waterfall where the Tiki's in the pool. Mm -hmm. How difficult is it to do that? I mean, I guess that would go hand in hand with the, you know, painting and the negative and all of that stuff. Um, as a photographer, we started with in a studio, situation is in a regular studio you don't a photography studio when you're ready to shoot you have no light anyway and you add light to that and it's, mm -hmm. it's just the same approach to me it's it's all light i mean essentially through my eyes even the the world outside is basically black with light added to it and it, the universe is black Every bit of light is something that's added to it, and it just recreates that, and it's just kind of a fundamental level. Now, there's another one of your paintings, and it was on display at the uh, at the Hukilau. Yeah, it was kind of birth imagery, and actually I did it subconsciously. I was doing these sketches, and they all just looked bad, and they were some of my original ones. And then one day... I drew this kind of, uh, these cliffs in the background that with the trees at the top of them and the cliffs, it created this kind of slot of light. And then by pure instinct, I just drew this tiki that was this short stubby Marquesan tiki, and it just worked as birth imagery that there was this kind of baby-like thing, this inverted green chasm, and then outside is this brilliant light. ideas instead of just always painting just an image and hey here's a taking let's put a forest it's trying to trying to hit the, the kind of uh, fundamental feeling that made me create it in the first place something about you know being in a dark area and then brightness being within reach that's pretty important to me, which is what I'm trying to do is not meant to be illustration. It may look like it, but what I was trying to do with the velvet stuff, which has always been thought of as this trashy art medium, big-eyed kids and clowns and all this stuff and terrible technique, is completely turn that around and trying as much as I can to treat Tiki as, as a completely respectable art form. In, in reality, there's only been a very precious few. I think you could probably count the artists who've made velvet a high-class medium on one hand with a few fingers. Yeah. They're definitely not the dogs playing poker. <laughs> <laughs> Which they still do, those. You can, you can buy those with yeah. your friend's heads on the dogs or anything you want. What? Crying Elvis. They still make them on a daily basis. Well, have you ever thought about doing um, paintings on other velvet colors? Yeah, I've experimented with that, but my I, they already would be out, except it's a fundamental part of being a responsible artist 
it, especially if you're experimenting with media like I am that are not well known and they're not well tested and there's no database to start from, you have to do testing. You have to check the adhesion of oil paints because oil paints are very tricky uh, as far as what they actually stick to and not, and the light fastness of both the paints and the, and the fabric that they're on, which is whether or not they fade. And it's completely up to the artist to be responsible and try to test that stuff or not, and all the colors have faded so far. And I have a database of which materials uh, last for about how long, and they're all tested. So the paintings are durable, the ones you do then? I uh, to the best of my ability, I, I keep checking new materials and seeing how the individual ones do, but the unpredictable part is, ultra, is yeah, ultraviolet light. Um, mm -hmm. you, you never know what you're going to get as far as ultraviolet light, and with anyone who has original artwork, you just don't leave them in a bright room all day, every day with the curtains open. And that brings me to another point. Um, the velvet paintings, they differ in the fact that you, you almost have to blast them with light. Yeah, with a normal uh, painting, you usually start with a white material, and then on top of it, you may add a lot of black like the classical artist, but in the light areas, you still have light that goes through the paint, hits the white media behind, and then comes back and shows up as illumination with velvet. It The paint just pretty much absorbs it or reflects it. And it's, it takes a fair amount of light. When I put it with a, a really bright light source, it just all of a sudden pops it's out. It's like a jewel almost. Okay, now I'm, I want to talk about my painting because I'm just totally in love with this painting. It's tiki in the sense that it's it's the Pele myth. It's Polynesian, I should say. It's not necessarily tiki. How did you come up with the concept for the, for the Pele? Well, you came up with it, really. You had mentioned something about the uh, Pele myth. So I got on a website. I read about the Pele myth, and they kept saying she would emerge from her volcano home and go out into the world and get into these different amorous adventures and my my approach was if she's in a volcano where the hell does she come out does she always come out through the top what if it's not exploding you know what's she going to do how she live how she get out of there well she could go out through one of the lava tubes because those were open on the sides of volcanoes and they're kind of a natural pressure outlet and i thought the idea of again kind of going through this birth canal thing with the bright blue daylight above sort of shining through and then the warm, the you know, really hot lava cracking and exploding and stuff underneath would be a great place for this, you know, delicate looking female figure to emerge from. So I did this perspective thing, this downward view of this lava in this tube, and then as you look up, you run across this female figure and the perspective starts to curve almost like a fisheye lens. Oh, yeah. She even has toenails, yeah. <laughs> which I thought that was very detailed. I was always wondering if you would notice that. And the first time I talked to you after you got it, you had you already noticed it. They're there, but they're virtually it, invisible, but they're there. It's simple. It's very simple, but it's also very complicated at the same time. That's the teasing of the eye part. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of drama in it, and that's actually how I came up with the name. I remembered that one part of the the Pele myth where she heard the drums of Prince Lohiao, and it woke her up, and she came out of her sleep. Your description just completely uh, matched the painting. Your words actually, I think, greatly deepen the overall impact of the image. If, if someone knows you know, what you're saying, and they look at the image, and they look how she's rising out of this heat, and, and the bright orange is reflecting off of her body a certain way, and into kind of the colder blue world above, and you look at your words and, and the whole Pele myth, it just, it all really just uh, binds together like an alloy and just makes a better thing. Hey, who's in the water?
I, I have some things I'm going to be doing over the next few months that are uh, that are either marginally takey or non-takey, especially late in the year. Uh, I kind of have some things I want to do next year, a mix of things, and then the year beyond, I have some ideas and they'll, they'll, so that my stuff keeps evolving. know that you you had requested when you were doing my painting you'd requested some music that would inspire it and I was just curious was there any tiki tunes you find that inspire you to do some of these tiki paintings yeah yeah I definitely use uh, music the tiki Aki album is, was my album of the year so that's really super inspirational because it has the uh, the dark quality to it that uh, I really like and then also uh, Don Tiki and Bustable Edison. It's really useful to create as much atmosphere as possible to try and find, for me, to find music as dark as possible, not the really happy kind of luau type stuff. That doesn't do anything at all. So I have to find the, the darker stuff. Big mahalos going out to Rob Hamill for visiting me in the Quiet Village and giving me that wonderful interview. I hope you enjoyed it. You also, a word to the listeners out there, you're going to want to make sure you have your iTunes art viewer on for that one. I had some great Rob Hamill artwork. And keep your eye on Rob. He's got some great stuff coming up in the future. So, back to the tunes. And in honor of Rob Hamill visiting the Quiet Village and this being part two of the future Zotica. I'm going to dedicate this next mini set to Rob Hamill called Music to Paint Velvet by.
Well, the Mai Tai is empty. I can see the bottom of the glass, and you know what that means. It is time for the end of the episode. You are listening to 1994 recording of Combustible Edison from their album I Swinger, a tune called The Velt. Interesting tune. And right before that, kicking off this little mini set for Rob Hamill, Music to Paint Velvet by, you heard the Forbidden Sounds of Don Tiki. And that's, the track was Maiden Hair Fern, and that was from 1998. I hope you enjoyed this little journey into the other side of the island here at the Quiet Village. And I hope this episode turned you on to some new artists and new tunes. So, as I stated in part one of Future Zotica, Exotica isn't dead and never really left, but uh, changed and morphed into new genres. Or I could just be full of it. Either way, it was a really good excuse to play some new and unusual stuff here at the Village. Rest assured, I will return with uh, the vintage side of the Quiet Village in upcoming episodes that I have in the works. I have some exciting stuff coming up, so make sure you tune in. In the meantime, I want to remind you that you can visit the Quiet Village at any time you like simply by going to the website www.digitiki.com where you can click on the podcast button and get a complete listing of the songs and artists for this and past visits as well as instructions on how to view album artwork and how to how to subscribe with your iTunes. Unfortunately, I'm not in the iTunes library as of yet, so you have to manually subscribe. But it's not difficult. So now... I am going to leave you with a wonderful tune, one of my personal favorites. This is another tune by Waterbone from their Tibet album. And I got a lot of responses from people who really liked Waterbone in the, in the, the last tune that I played at the end of the last episode. They really did the job correct. Uh, they went to Tibet. They spent months there. They actually got to know the people of the area. They asked for their permission. They treated what they, that what they recorded the chants and the vocalizations and everything they treated it with the utmost respect and I know personally these guys have a tremendous respect for the people and the culture and the religions of that region so while in Tibet Waterbone which is made up of two guys visited a school and recorded children singing an anthem now and I was told what the song was but I completely forgot and it's a very uplifting and hopeful tune in its music Therefore, I'm going to leave you with a positive, uplifting song looking forward to the future, the future of Exotica and the future of Tiki. Here again is Waterbone with a wonderful song called A Child's Prayer. Special shout out to Joe Banks, Scott Mabbitt for listening out there in the quiet village. Mahalo. Aloha, everyone. And Saijin, which I hope I said right, which means goodbye in Mandarin. Yeah.